I enjoy reading, which means I spend quite a bit of time perusing Amazon, uh, which I've nowadays, like, whether or not you read or not, you probably spend a lot of time perusing Amazon, right? Um, but I, uh, I was on Amazon earlier this week, and kind of knowing the direction of the sermon, uh, I just typed in the little search bar at the top. Actually, that's a lie. It wasn't on the, it was on my phone, so it was more like this. Uh, I just typed in church growth, right? Church growth. 20,000 results on church growth, which says to me two things, at least two things. One, there's a lot of people that are really confident that like their opinions and methods and strategies are the surefire way to grow your church, okay? So that's at least one thing. And then uh, the other thing that tells me is there's a lot of people that are asking the question, how do we grow a church, okay? Um, and kind of given our current, like, I'm asking that question, how, how do we grow a church, okay? Um, and that's a good and right thing to want. That's a good and right thing to ask. Uh, hopefully we all want the church to grow, okay? There's nothing inherently holy about the size of a church, so uh, whatever number we grow to someday or don't grow to someday doesn't matter all that much, but, like, we should want to reach more people. We should want to see the kingdom grow, um, but, but I think we need to remember that when we talk about this idea of church growth or, or building the church, uh, it, it would be wise for us right, to remember that this church ultimately doesn't belong to us. Right? It ultimately belongs to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who kind of introduced this idea of the church in Matthew chapter 16. And he brings his disciples together and they're having a conversation which leads to him saying, uh, talk specifically to Peter and his confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus responds to Peter and says, hey, on this rock, on this confession of who I am, what I, what I have come to do, I will build my church, right? and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? So Jesus is the one who's going to build the church. Right? Jesus is the one who's going to grow the church, ultimately. Okay? And, and so this local church is just a small expression of what we would call the the universal church, but, but even that this is still Jesus' church. Okay? It's not my church. It's not your church. As our text will say, like point out this morning, Jesus is the head of the church, so like this thing belongs to him, which means he calls the shots. Okay? Which means if this church is going to grow, and we hope it does, it's going to be according to the measures that like is set forth in the word. Right? That's how this church is going to grow. And it's going to be judged by the metrics that are set forth in, in the Word. So that brings us to Ephesians 4. We're going to look at the first 16 verses this morning. This is uh, really what we're going to look at this morning is God's plan for the growth of the church like throughout the church's history. Right? For every church throughout the history of the world, this is God's sort of part of, I should say, God's prescribed pl plan for the growth of the church. And, but what I hope you'll see this morning is this is not, uh, like, like church growth is inside out. Okay, and what I mean by that is, is what we're going to see this morning is this is not something where, where, you know, the plan's laid out, like here's a strategy, here's a method, follow these three steps, and then uh, you'll attract a big crowd of people, uh, and that's how you'll grow the church. Okay, because what we'll see here this morning is, is Jesus' 
or the, the God, that the Spirit's plan for church growth is more, uh, hey, here's the kind of church you need to be. Okay, here's the kind of people you need to become in order for the church to then be built up and to grow into all that it can be. Right? It's, it's inside out. Okay? So with that said, three, I'm giving you like kind of my three big points. They're really just words. Three big ingredients for church growth is probably how I would say it. Right? This is according to Ephesians 1 through 16. Three big ingredients. Unity, ministry, and maturity. Okay? Unity, ministry, and maturity. We're going to look at all three of those, beginning with unity. But let's read the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes, it says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, Paul wrote this in prison, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So what's happening here in the book of Ephesians? We begin chapter 4. Uh, this is kind of the halfway point in the book, right? There's six chapters. Uh, beginning in chapter 4, we're looking at the back half. There's like a change that happens here. Right? The first half of Ephesians was all like sort of doctrine and theology and really deep and weighty stuff, good stuff. I had some stuff in my notes about that, but I had to take it out because I've got a lot more I want to say. So exercising some self-control here. Um, but there's a shift here that happens, and the back half of Ephesians gets really practical. Okay, But that word... Therefore, kind of connects what Paul has already said in chapters 1 through 3 with what he's about to say in chapters 4 through 6. And so, to connect the dots, okay, remember, Paul's writing to a, a group of people, some from a Jewish background, some from a Gentile background, uh, historically, who were very hostile and opposed to one another. And, and here's what, what Paul is saying here. He's saying, because you were both Jews and Gentiles saved by grace through faith, Right, in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, because you are uh, now fellow citizens with the saints, because you are now uh, adopted into God's family, right, members of God's household. That was Ephesians chapter 2. Because these things are true of you, okay, because you are united in Christ, he says, I urge you to walk in the manner worthy of of the calling to which you've been called. So, so what's happened here is because of their mutual faith in Christ, like they were united, right? They, like that was their new reality. Okay, but Paul is saying that, okay, that's like, that's declared, you are united, but now you've got to walk in that. Okay, so that's already your identity, but now you've got to grow into that. You've got to walk in a way that is consistent with or, or resembles that new reality. Right? In other words, God's grace that reconciled you uh, first to him vertically and then also to one another horizontally, uh, that grace should be made increasingly visible in how you live and act, interact with one another as members of a church right? in unity. Okay, Now, unity is a great idea on paper. 
Right? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, unity, let's do it. Uh, but it's a lot harder lived out in real life, right? Because we all interact with people that rub us the wrong way. Anybody? Yep, some of, it's, some of you is people in this room, right? And so, like, because unity is more than just this sort of ethereal concept or idea, like, it's a real goal that we're going to have to pursue, uh, and, and it comes with a real cost, right? And so that's what, uh, that's what Paul points out here in verse 2. Like, if we're going to do this, if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, it's going to require some things of, it's going to, it's going to cost us some things. And so he lays it out, right? It's going to take humility, right? Considering the needs and interests of others above and before your own. You want a, a great definition of humility? Philippians chapter 2. I'm not going to go to it now, but write it down. You can go look at it later, okay? He says it's going to take gentleness, right? Or, or uh, some versions translate that as meekness, right? It's going to be treating other people with kindness when you would much rather just sort of respond with verbal assault or, or something along those lines, right? It's, it's treating people with, with kindness rather than harshness, particularly when you don't agree, right? It's going to take patience. Right? To pursue unity means uh, we've got to understand, like, we're all in process, all of us. Like, none of us have arrived, okay? And so because of that, like, we've all got indwelling sin. We've all got, like, we just got to be patient with one another and recognize we're all in process. None of us are omniscient. Like, we all have different perspectives and opinions and right, being patient with one another. Okay? It, it takes, Paul says, bearing with one another in love. Okay, now, confession. I used to think, and, and even used to teach, that this was just like a okay, we just kind of sort of like got to tolerate each other. Right? And, and there is an element of that to this. Um, but, to, but to say that's all it is, is we just kind of tolerate each other. I think I was wrong in, in my understanding and in my teaching. Right? Because um, you, you can bear with someone, you can tolerate someone and keep them at a distance. Right? Like you just don't have to interact. Like you do that thing where you walk on the opposite side of the hallway or you act like you're distracted by your phone so you don't have to interact with that person, right? But, but there's that little qualifier there, bearing with one another in love. Okay? And you and I are called to love one another in the same way that Jesus has loved us. And Jesus does not merely tolerate us. Right? Jesus, uh, he, he doesn't keep us at an arm's distance. Okay, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came, he drew near, he stepped into the mess that, that is the, the world of brokenness that we live in. All right, he moved toward us, he became like us, and he saved us, particularly when we were not very, un, not very lovable. Right? So to bear with one another in love is more than just sort of like, I just won't interact with you very much. No, it's, it's hey, we... We probably have some friction between us, but I need to move towards you in love for us to pursue this kind of unity. All right now, here's what I know. None of these things are natural for us. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning in their flesh and is like, I just can't wait to be so humble and gentle and patient today. Especially those of us with kids, like we know that, right? Like nobody, like, so what I'm getting at is it, it requires 
it requires a work of the Spirit in us. Right? If we're going to if we're going to actually live in humility and gentleness and patience and we're going to bear with one another in love, it's going to require the Spirit of God to do like a profound work in our hearts. Okay, Like our only shot of, of living in this kind of like real unity, not just like pretend unity, but like real unity, our only shot will be by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Okay? So what I want you to see next then is... is Verse 3, right, Paul says we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Okay, in other words, unity should be not just like an, an idea that's like, oh, that sounds like a good, a good thing. It should be something like we want to pursue. Right? It should be something we're eager to pursue. Some other translations take that word eager and they translate it into doing all that is possible or all within our power uh, to maintain unity, okay? And the reason is because division and disunity have no place among the people of God, right? N- no place. And you think back, um, John 17, Jesus prays for the disciples, but he prays for all those who would believe because of their word, which is us, and the thing he prays is that they would be one, United. Right, so, so disunity, division has no place among the people of God. That's why Paul elsewhere in the New Testament uh, has some pretty strong words for people who are causing division and disunity in the church. Right, that's Titus chapter 3, another reference if you want to look that up on your own time. All right? So Paul's saying, hey, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Walk in unity. It's going to require... Uh, Humility, gentleness, patience. You're going to have to bear with one, or in lo- with one another in love. I want you to be eager for this. And then very quickly, he uh, reminds them of the source of their unity. Right? That, that regardless of their backgrounds as, as Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians, regardless of how they got to where they are now, the fact is that they were all united uh, in one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all. Right, so all this language of, of unity. Okay, but unity uh, isn't just for the sake of unity, okay, because it actually has a, another goal, which is where Paul goes next. So read with me, starting in verse 7. Right, but right, Paul is notorious for just like making an argument and you'd be like, okay, and then he's like, but. All right, here's he does it again, but. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there's like a shift here. Okay, yes, they were united, one, through faith in, in Jesus. Yes, they were challenged to continue walking in that unity, pursuing unity, growing in unity. But they also have some, some unique uh, God-given differences, some, some God-given diversity. Okay, and, and a couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, diversity is part of God's good, di- good design for the church. And we talked about it in the realm of like uh, how the church should be made up of people from diverse backgrounds, whether that's uh, racially, ethnically, socioeconomically, culturally, politically. Uh, but, but here, right, this is not talking about your background. It's talking about you've, like the, the body is composed of people with a diverse set of gifts. Okay. The word grace here in verse 7 is, uh, is not talking about grace in terms of like God's sort of unmerited favor or love. It's, 
It's actually talking about a reference to God giving gifts to his people, abilities, talents, uh, gifts. Right? That's what we see in verse 8 where Paul goes on. He says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And you may be like, what is that? What does it have to do with anything? This is just Paul quoting uh, Psalm 68. I don't have time to dig in, in the weeds there because, again, I got more than I want to say. But um, the big idea right, is that God gives gifts to his people that we, in turn, give back to him by employing in the life of, of the church. All right, for the good of the church, for the growth of the kingdom. So God gives gifts, and then it's, we in turn use those gifts to, to grow the church, to grow the kingdom. Okay? And I want to encourage you to jump down to verse 11, because this is going to start outlining like how that process actually works. Paul says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Okay, so here's, we talked about church growth. Jesus' plan, his, his model, his strategy for church growth begins with gifted leaders who then equip the saints, right, who equip the, the members of the church to leverage their gifts for the good of the church and, and the growth of the kingdom. Okay, so... Um, when I interviewed for this position back in fall of 2020, um, there was a, a set of, hey, here are the requirements of your job. Here are the expectations, okay? And somehow, I convinced Roland and Tracy and Sam Carter that I could fulfill those responsibilities, okay? I should probably go back and look at those to remind myself. Like, I think I've got some. There's probably a lot more I haven't hit yet, okay? But uh, you guys are patient with me, and I appreciate it. So, but, but, but all those responsibilities, all those expectations, all those job requirements could all be summed up in this one, like, like these, this one section, these two verses, right? To, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Like, that's my job description. Okay, I, I'm in that list, right? I am a, I'm not an apostle, I'm not a prophet, uh, maybe kind of an evangelist, right? But I'm, a, I'm a shepherd and a teacher, and so this is my role. My job description is to, like, to equip you for the work of ministry. Okay, so in other words, and this is going to press on you a little bit, and I, I'm acknowledging that, right, so that you're ready to receive it, okay? According to Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, right, according to him, my job description tells me that it is not my job to do all the work of ministry. Okay? Now, I have a really important role. Right? My job is to equip you, to teach you, to train you, to encourage you, to help you figure out and discover uh, and then eventually employ the gifts and the abilities and the talents that uh, the Lord has given you. Okay? So that together... All of us together, we make disciples together, build this church together, advance the kingdom together. Okay, so, so like to, to be really straightforward, like the only way, the only way we're going to move forward 
in all that God has for us as a church. The only way we're going to move forward is when every member realizes that you have a role here. Right? You have a role to play here. Okay? If you are a member of what is currently the South Wilson campus of Valley Creek Baptist Church, like there is a ministry opportunity here with your name on it. Now, you may not know what that is yet, and that's okay. Right? I may not know what that is yet, right? but that doesn't mean you, want, you don't have one. And, and so I'm confident right, that in time, like we get around each other enough, we figure out like how you're gifted, how you're wired, what your abilities are, kind of what you're, you're drawn to, what you're passionate about. I am confident we could find what that role is and plug you right in. And listen, our church will be better because of it, and you will be better off because of it. Okay? Now that leads me to our last section here. Okay, look at verse 13. Actually, back up to 12. So, so here's... Here's the role, right? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, talking about maturity here. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that, so here's the reason, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, so I'll be fairly quick here. Right? This is similar to last week. Like the, the language that Paul uses in these few verses, it's just language of spiritual maturity. Okay, unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood, or in the original language, that's basically saying like a full-grown man, uh, the, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Right. All these point to like spiritual maturity in the life of the church. Okay. And, and that's like I want you to, to, to see that specifically. Like sometimes when we think of spiritual growth or spiritual maturity, we think about it sort of in individualistic terms. But here in context, Paul's actually not talking about like your sort of individual, like your quiet time in the Bible or your time in prayer every morning. Like he's like his preferred pronouns here are we, us. Paul's talking about the spiritual growth, the spiritual maturity of the church, all of us together. Okay, so, so the focus here is like it's corporate, it's, it's communal, it's not, it's not just individual. Okay, so what I want you to see is that spiritual growth of, of, of our church, and ultimately that's going to trickle down to you too, but spiritual growth is a it's a community project. Okay? You need other people equipping you and encouraging you, challenging you, praying for you, checking in on you, ministering to you. Right? That's how this thing is designed to work. Right? It's called a body for a reason. Right? There, 
every member, just a different part, different roles to play, different uh, gifts, different abilities that all work together to build the entire body up, right? to, to grow into maturity. Right? You need other people ministering to you. And, and on the flip side, other people need that from you. Right? All, we, we need you. If this church is going to be what, what I think we want it to be, more importantly, what I think the Lord wants it to be, like we need you. Roll up your sleeves, get in the game for, for both your own spiritual growth, but, but ultimately for the growth of this church as well. Okay, so let me review and then I'm going to try to get super, super practical. Okay, so two things, right? We as a church, I'm going to read it just like I wrote it because I, I think it makes sense in my head. We as a church will not fully experience spiritual growth and maturity apart from walking in, striving for, actively pursuing, and sacrificing for unity in the body of Christ. We've all got to do that. Okay, and then here's the second thing. We as a church will not fully experience spiritual growth and maturity apart from every member of the body engaging in the work of ministry that the Lord has gifted and called you to. Okay, now, put some handles on it. Try to make it really, really practical. Okay, uh, e even though, like I just said, the context of this is corporate, okay? It's communal. It's, it's us together as a body. Um, for us to apply the truths of scriptures like to our lives, like we've got to bring it down like to a personal level. Like what does this require of me? What am I supposed to do with this? Okay? So I want to try to help you with that this morning, okay? It's uh, starting with, with unity, before anything else, if we're going to grow in unity, it's going to require a work of the Spirit in our lives. We talked about that, which means we start growing in unity by praying in a couple of ways. One, asking the Lord to reveal ways in which we failed to pursue unity. Have we, are there ways, maybe we're not even aware of it, are there ways that we've kind of not pursued unity in the way that we have? Have we sort of just kept our distance from people that maybe rub us the wrong way? Or have we not been as, as humble or as gentle or as patient as we should have? Okay? So it just begins by asking the Lord to reveal ways in which you've maybe failed to pursue unity. And listen, we all have. In some way, like if, if, you, if you've never disagreed with anyone here, it's because you have either not been here very long or you just haven't yet engaged with other people at a level that you're going to disagree with them, okay? Because this is, the church is a family. And I don't know about your family, we have some disagreements in our family, okay? Uh, I, I read in a book, I think I even posted it online, when we think of church uh, as a family, this was in this book that I read, it's called Loving the Ones Who Drive You Crazy. Just, I would recommend you read it. It's a great book. Um, I, I read it just for my own edification, not, not because that's how I feel about you, most of you. Um, <laughs> but I read in the book, like, when we think of church as a family, like, we I think sometimes what we think of is, like, this ideal, like, you know, leave it to beaver 
family where everything, do you guys even know what Leave it to Beaver is? That, that may have just went like, some people are just like, I don't know what you're talking about right now. Uh, we have like this, this idea of like this great family where everybody gets along. And, uh, but, but the book had this great quote that was like, really the church family is more like yelling at each other over who used up all the hot water. Right? That's like church family. Okay? So you're going to disagree with people. And listen, let's just be honest. I'm the guy who does most of the talking with a microphone strapped to my head. I'm probably the first person you're going to disagree with just by the sheer volume of words that come out of my mouth, right? Okay, so when, not if, but when those moments come, there's tension and, and disagreement and disunity. Well, what do we do then? We pray for the Spirit to be at work, right? To help us respond in humility, to consider the, the needs, thoughts, opinions, perspectives of others before our own, right? To respond in gentleness, right? To be meek and, and gentle as opposed to uh, making accusations or slandering against those we disagree with, right? We're patient with those who are not on the same page that we currently are, right? We bear with them in love, ask the Spirit to help us bear with them in love, to move towards them, not to kind of the reaction to pull away, right? If anything, the reaction to pull away should like sound an alarm like, oh, that probably needs a means I need to lean in and move toward, okay? All right, so we, we pray that the Spirit would do those things in us and make those true of us, but here's the thing, man. You know, like, if you pray for those things, don't be surprised when the opportunities come up for you to exercise some of those qualities. That's how the Lord works. It's called sanctification. You've probably heard before, like, don't pray for patience because the Lord's going to give you opportunities that are going to test your patience, right? All right, so, so just... Just be honest, man. You pray that these things will be increasingly true of you, and then don't be surprised when the Lord sets you right down in the middle of something where you've got to flex some of those spiritual muscles that you'd probably rather not flex. Okay? So that's unity. Well, let's talk about ministry. Right? We, we talked about every member has a role to play. Like you have a ministry opportunity with your name on it, whether you know it yet uh, or not. So what I thought maybe just be helpful, just as a starting point, is just to give you some very real like, opportunities to serve here. Okay? Uh, this will not be an exhaustive list, just a heads up. Okay? Uh, first, children's ministry. You should know by now that anytime I'm going to give you an opportunity or a list of opportunities to serve in the church, children's ministry is going to be numero uno. All right, because I, I, I have been in churches of every shape, size, never enough children's ministry volunteers ever, okay? So, and, and to, to add to that, listen, we had almost 40 kids checked into our elementary programming last week. That's absurd. I mean, it's awesome, yeah, but like, for a church of our size to have 40 children check, it means one, we, when God said be fruitful and multiply, we're like, all right, okay. But, I mean, it's, a, it's an awesome problem to have, okay? It's, it's amazing, but man, it's, a, it's also a burden, right? To our team of volunteers that serve faithfully week in and week out, like, listen, that's exhausting. Like we need more children's ministry volunteers, right? And I, listen, we're about to have a meeting tonight to kind of renovate some space for our children's ministry. Um, if we keep at this pace, like, it's going to be too small before we get it done. 
So, yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm down with that. I'd love to, I'd love to get it done and be like, okay, so this is not enough, all right? Um, anyways, let me add this. Let me, let me add this plug for children's ministry too. When most of us think about somebody responding to Jesus or coming to faith in Jesus, like, I don't know what co- comes in your mind. Like the natural thing for me, because the you know, church background is somebody walking an aisle and responding uh, you know, to, the, to a gospel invitation at the end of a sermon. But if we're honest, if we're really honest, in those rooms out there, like we have a mission field within the walls of our church. Right? If, if we're honest, most people who are going to come to faith in the context of our church, like within these four walls, it's probably not going to be in this room. It's probably going to be in those rooms. Right, we, we've got a, a good number of children that have not made a public profession of faith. So you want to see lost people come to know Jesus? You need to serve in kids' ministry. That's where you need to be. All right? So there's my plug for kids. Um, but, but not just kids. All right? If I, can, um, if I can sort of own some ministry uh, failure or malpractice this morning... Uh, one of my ministry shortcomings here, uh, and there are many, is that I have failed to equip you to minister in, in the area of, of student ministry. Okay? Um, to the few of you that have middle school and high school students, like, I honestly feel like I owe you an apology because we just haven't ministered well in this area. I haven't equipped you well in this area. Um, and it's not because I think it's the church's job to disciple your kids. I don't think that at all. I think the Bible's really clear that it's your job to disciple your kids. But I do think that it's the church's role to come alongside you and to help you and encourage you and equip you and support you in that, that task, right? And so, and moving forward, like this has to be an area of emphasis for us. Has to be. Right? If we're going to reach new families, if we're going to retain families. It, listen, if, if another family never walks in the doors of this church, the fact remains we've got, depending on the week, somewhere between 25 and 40 kids down there that one day are going to be awkward middle schoolers and raging hormonal teenagers. And like, we've got to provide some environments to let them know that Jesus loves them and is for them and has plans for them that far exceed any plans that they probably have for them. All right, so whenever I call on some of you to come help me in student ministry, uh, I'm hoping you're going to take me up on the call. Okay? So, there's other areas. Okay, let me hit a few. I'll try to be a little quicker here. Uh, music, media team. Right, our our uh, music and media teams do a great job. Um, I always joke that the media team is like the offensive line of the church world, because you never know that anything, like, you don't even know they're working until something goes wrong, right? Uh, but they do a great job. Our, our music team does a great job. But most of them serve every single week. Every single week. Uh, and, and I'm sure some, some of them, most of them, I don't know, like, it's, it's a joy to be able to serve. I get that. Uh, but it can also be tiring, man, because life is, life's exhausting sometimes. Sometimes it'd be nice to give some of our team members a break so that they can sit and receive, be ministered to, rather than do all the ministering, right? So if you're here uh, and you've got some musical gifts, some talents, um, 
whether that's instrumentally or vocally, or, or maybe you're just like a, a techie person, you're like, I can push buttons and click slides and move sliders and all that sort of thing. Um, and we, would love, we would love to plug you in there in some capacity, okay? Now, specifically when it comes to music, let's just go ahead and have a conversation now so that we don't have to have an awkward one later. Um, if you're wondering whether or not you have musical gifts, Here's the diagnostic question. <laughs> Has anyone that didn't give birth to you ever told you that you were musically talented? If the answer is no, kids ministry, right? <laughs> if, <laughs> if the answer is yes, then we'll have a conversation. We'll explore that further, okay? Um, Hey, here's one that's probably not on your radar at all because there's really no reason that it should be. Um, counting team, like handling money and finances. Um, I personally have not written a check since the Bush administration, but I know some of you faithfully give, like whether it's through check or cash, and we have a, uh, a box out there each week um, for you to drop your gift in, and some of you give generously in that way. Uh, and, and so what happens every Sunday is we have a team, a very, 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 Small team, <laughs> it's more like a duo of people <laughs> that, that take those monies and, and properly handle them and put them where they need to be. Like, I don't even know what the process is because I don't handle money here, okay? Um, so, like, I can't even tell you fully what they do because I would just be misinforming you, all right? But I know there's a need for more people on that team. And if you're like, man, that doesn't seem very spiritual, I don't know. I would just say, one, the Bible has a lot to say about money, and two... Uh, the Bible says that administration is a spiritual gift. And so, right, if that's you, we can use you for that, okay? And if you're here and you're like, I, I don't know about any of these. I don't have, I don't like kids. I don't like students. Uh, I, I don't have any musical talents. Uh, I should not be trusted with money. Like, here's an easy one. The welcome team. What an opportunity. What an easy, like it's just such a low bar to get into. And I'm not saying it's not an important ministry. I would argue like the welcome team is one of the most important ministries because when we get people to walk in here, you are the front lines. Right? You're the first people they're going to interact with. Your job is incredibly important. But listen, you don't need any theological knowledge. You don't have to be able to teach. You don't have to be able to do any of that to serve on a welcome team. You just got to get here early, which admittedly is a struggle for some of you, but you got to get here early and just smile at people. Good morning. Glad you're here. What an, what an easy on-ramp to serve in the life of the church. Okay? So, so listen, that's not an exhaustive list. There are many more areas to get involved in. Those are just some of like the big, glaring, obvious ones. Um, but if at any point during that list, you were like, hey, I, I think I could do that. Okay? Then you just got to let us know. Myself, Zach, Rachel, uh, in our kids' ministry, like, if you're just like, I'd like to serve in this area, I think I could serve in this area, uh, then we'd, we'd love to, to get you plugged in, okay? Now listen, we have policies and procedures. We're not going to just trust anyone with our children or with our students or with money or with a microphone, <laughs> okay? So there will, be, uh, there will be some policies and procedures we follow, but let's at least get the conversation started, okay, and find out where where you can plug in and use the abilities and the gifts and the talents that the Lord has, has given you, okay? 
Because here's the, here's the truth. Spiritual growth requires giving yourself to the church at some level. Like it just does. Okay, to, to grow in maturity is to be increasingly conformed into the image of Jesus. And Jesus loved the church so much that he gave himself for it. All right, so if you and I are going to be conformed into that image, at some degree it's going to be us sacrificing ourselves for the good of the church. Okay, Now, here's where I land the plane. To bring this kind of full circle, all right, 20,000 20, results for church growth on Amazon. Okay, now, I've never, I don't read a lot of books on church growth. Maybe you're like, oh, there's the issue. Um, <laughs> I'm coming off the rails. Um, I don't know if any of the methods and the strategies written in those books guarantee a successful, growing, thriving church. I'm sure some are helpful. I'm sure some are not helpful at all. Okay? But here's what I do know. Is that if you show me a church in which every member is striving for unity, and you show me a church in which every every member is is fulfilling the ministry that the Lord has equipped them for and called them to, then I'll show you a church that's growing in maturity. Okay? And, and I will not claim to know the, the wisdom and the ways of God, but here's what I do know. Uh, I'm inclined to believe that that kind of church, one where there's unity, where there's ministry, that results in a, a church body that is growing in maturity, I'm just inclined to believe that that's the kind of church that the Lord would want to use to proclaim his glory and to advance his kingdom in the unique place and time in which he's placed us. That's what I'm inclined to believe. Right? And that's what we're going to pray that the Lord would do here. Right? So would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word and uh, or just how it reminds us and encourages us and challenges us and confronts us and convicts us and all the things that it does. And Father, I, uh, Lord, pray this morning that as we've heard this word um, just about growing the church and building the church, strengthening the church, uh, Lord, I pray that it would fall on us in the way that it should. Lord, some of us need to strive for unity. Lord, some of us need to probably all of us in some degree, need to, uh, to interact with one another with, with a, a greater humility and uh, more gentleness and more patience. We need to engage with one another, uh, bear with one another, interact with one another in love, move towards one another, rather than just kind of keeping our distance and backing away and, and, and retreating. So Father, for some of us, unity is the thing that, that resonates with us this morning, Lord. But, and, but I would suspect that for many of us, it's, and what is my ministry here? So Father, would you help, help us to see what, what our areas of ministry are? Um, Lord, some I listed out, there are many, many more that, that could be said that just weren't for the sake of time. Would you begin to, Lord, prompt us, convict us, 
Uh, Lord, help us to see, like, where, where have you given us certain abilities? Where have you given us certain talents? Where have you uh, given us certain passions and desires for certain things? And would you help us to, to, to lean into that and kind of figure out, okay, what, what is my role in the growth of this body? Like, where do I use those things uh, to, to bless and encourage and minister to others, whether it's children or students or, or other adults in this room? And so, Father, would you, would you just now in this moment prompt us for how you would have us to to move towards unity, how you would have us to, to step into ministry. Uh, and Lord, I pray that as we do that, that, that over time, as we strive for unity, as we, uh, Lord, try to, try to serve in ways in which you've equipped us, I pray that this place would grow in such a way that there's a, uh, a maturity about us that you would delight to use to impact our community, uh, to, or to reach people who are far from you, Lord, that this place would be a, uh, a bright spot in the north side of E-Town. Lord, would you bring that, as we do what you've told us to do, would you, Lord, would you bring the growth? We plant, we water, we trust you to bring the growth. So Father, we love you, we praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.